You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Visit your local Interstate Battery retail store or visit their website at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, you knuckleheads, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have returning guest, Dan Course. He's back on the podcast, and uh, we're going to talk about the biggest buck he's ever shot, and that was in 2018, this past season. Uh, We kicked the podcast off actually talking about how he started hunting at the age of eight with his dad uh, in Mississippi, uh, kind of... uh, a life change move to Pennsylvania, hunting the, the public ground out in Pennsylvania, and then transitioning to his home state of Texas now. And uh, so this podcast is kind of a, a hunter profile podcast mixed with a big buck success story podcast. And um, he chased this deer in 2016, 2017, and in 2018, he was lucky enough to harvest this buck. And uh, that is uh, what we talk about today. Just a, a really good podcast, uh, kind of highlighting the the average Joes of the world and uh, kind of going back to the grassroots of what this podcast is all about. Now, before we get into this podcast, I just want to say, keep an eye out for the new trailer for the new short film that is coming um, that is coming to the Sportsman's Nation, right? It, it kind of highlights uh, my turkey hunt it, or my turkey hunting season uh, with my wife and my family. Uh, so keep an eye out for the trailer. And then later this month, we should have uh, the film up and ready to go. So keep an eye out for the trailer. It should be up uh, the end of the day, Monday or sometime on Tuesday. Uh, And uh, I'm really excited about this because not only is the footage kick-ass, but I feel the story is going to be kick-ass too. And I really want all of you guys to share it and uh, keep an eye out for it. So uh, let's do that. Now, also, we got to talk about Ripcord Arrow Rest, right? Um, I, I don't really get excited about, like, I get excited about hunting gear, but I'm, I'm not 
it's on a different level with this company because I get jacked up when I know that I don't have to worry about a product performing and that is exactly what uh, I get when I you know when I have a ripcord arrow rest on my bow um, dude like I said I've been using their arrow rest for God knows how many years I want to say going on 10 if not more 13 maybe and I haven't had one failure and I beat the shit out of my equipment right uh, mud water grime whatever and the their products work every single time and um, and I get excited about that so uh, go to their website ripcordarrowrest.com and take a look at all the uh, all the products that they offer because they have limb driven systems they have cord driven systems they have some really cool like what they call like exchange blade angle thumb lock launcher click micro adjustments like they're taking the micro adjustment to a whole new level right being able to really hone in and center your arrow and that all this does is just increases accuracy uh in your shot right so uh ripcordarrowrest.com go out and uh it's an american it's an american company uh veteran owned so uh just a couple more really cool things about the company so i'm done talking let's get into today's hunter profile big buck success story with my man dan course all right on the phone with me right now mr dan course Thank you very much for being absolutely flexible uh, with me uh, because I've dodged you like for it almost feels like a two or three months we've been trying to make this happen. I know, man. I, I thought you were kicking me to the curb there. <laughs> no way. And I, I had this conversation with you a little bit before we got we actually uh, started recording. I'm just like, man, there's a couple guys. You are one of them, and then I have one or two other guys who I keep telling, hey, man, yes, I want to get you on. Yes, I want to get you on. And then I have to cancel on them because either I got a sick kid or my Internet's not working or whatever. And uh, it just by circumstance, it's all laid out to make me look like an asshole. Yeah, my, 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 uh, don't worry about it, man. I appreciate us finally getting our schedule synced up. And my, my wife tells me all the time, I just have too much going on myself. So it, it's kind of hard to pin me down. And then the, the, the real background, though, is that I suffered through years of rejection from trying to date girls. And so I'm prepared for this. I'm prepared for it. So you don't have to feel bad. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. Well, it's good to finally hook back up with you because I love, you know, you're one guy I kind of uh, communicate with off and on throughout the entire year. And Mm -hmm. um, I got some radio silence there for a while, you know, from you. And then it was, it's like July, right? Is your last message you sent to me. And then I get a, uh, a picture in a message from in October 30th from you. And I was, and it's the picture of this beautiful buck, you and your bow laying there. And I'm just like, boom. Yes. That's awesome. Because I love it. I love it when guys who are loyal to the podcast and the guys that I keep in touch with, you know, almost like a buddy sends me the pictures and it's almost like I'm following along with their season as well. And dude, I got, I got jacked uh, for you. So congratulations. I appreciate it, man. It's it's always a one-sided relationship, right? Because we get to listen to the podcast, and you don't get to hear too much from us. Right. And it's like we stay in contact with you, and it really feels like 
Well, I just talked to Dan the other day when I really just listened to another, <laughs> to another podcast. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Is is this uh, this buck particularly? But I, right before uh, I got on the phone with you, I was thinking to myself, man. I've had Dan on the podcast a couple times. We've talked about gear. We've talked about, you know, how you hunt down in Texas and whatnot. But I've never yeah. really gotten the background, per se, on how you were introduced to hunting. So I think that's where I really want to start off with today and is just ask you, how did you get into hunting? Well, I, um, I started hunting uh, I was probably eight seven or eight. I think when I was seven, my dad would take me out with like his brothers and some friends of the family, you know, close friends of his. And we would go out. But when I was seven, I couldn't, I didn't have a gun. I just go out there. I had like sneakers, like some Chuck Taylors on. <laughs> and, and, and it was miserable. I mean, my feet were wet. I was cold. And, you know, I didn't even have long johns back then. I, I would wear my pajamas underneath my like jeans and stuff you know yeah just to uh su survive and then when my dad he really was just testing me to see if i liked being out there right and i kept saying hey daddy you know i really like this i really like this or whatnot and then so the next year uh i got a shotgun for a christmas present it was a single shot hnr 410 gauge you know and i was like I was like overjoyed. I had my own <laughs> shotgun, you know. And uh, so I really, in earnest, I started about eight years old. And uh, that blows a lot of people's mind. Like my wife is from, from Philly. And uh, she says, you have a gun at nine years old? You know, she's from inner city Philly. So it means yeah. something totally different to her. Yeah. And I'm from Mississippi. So yeah. there it's like, well, don't all eight-year-olds have guns? You know? Right. <laughs> so it was a little bit different, but. Uh, that was my beginning, and we hunted rabbits and squirrels and dove, you know, all the small game stuff. And then uh, probably when I was about maybe 10 or 11, my dad was in a um, a, uh, a hunting club. You know, down south, we have these hunting clubs. Yep. He was a member, and children could come, you know, your, your children could come. So I would go to hunting deer camp with him. And we would hunt. I started hunting deer. And I never never had success really the first year or two when I had that 410. And I got about 13. My dad moved me up to a 20 gauge. And it, it's a bit of a cultural difference when you hunt deer in Mississippi because Mississippi allows you to use dogs. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's another one of these kind of weird states now. But anyway, uh so the deer are running. You rarely see a deer that's not running for his life. I mean, it's just a burr, uh, I'm sorry, a blur going through a briar thicket right. and you're just slinging buckshot or something at him. Right. Right. And, uh, anyway, actually the first deer I ever killed was a buck and that blew my mind. It was like a little six point, but it, you know, it's still, it's still hung up on the wall of my parents' house. And I was, I was hooked. I was already hooked from, you know, seven or eight years old, but I was really hooked once I shot that deer and, uh, it just, it just took off from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, now let me ask you this. 
you got this mm-hmm. gun at such a young young age. Did your dad ever have to take uh, take it away from you for misuse? No, no, I never. I was real, really obedient. I, you know, he laid the groundwork, uh, the 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 frame, uh, the ground rules rather. Yeah. For the you know my use of the gun right off the bat, he taught me proper uh, safe handling of the weapon and so forth. I really only had it out either to clean it or to pack it to go hunting, you know, right. pack it in the vehicle to go hunting. And that was about it really. Yeah. yeah. And, um, it was, I never got grounded from it, grounded <laughs> from other things, but never from hunting. Right. Well, that's good, man. I'll tell you, um, I have to share a quick story. My grandpa got me a pellet gun. He had a, or, or I should say he had a pellet gun at his house and my grandparents were me and my brother's babysitters growing up. So, uh, my parents basically dumped us off at a farm and then we would, they would go to work. Well, my grandpa one day said, do you know how to use this thing? And he handed me, handed me a, a tin of pellets and a pellet gun. And I was like, yeah, I know how to use it. Uh, and, uh, so he it's like, here's the safety. Here's, you know, how you use it, whatever. Here's the pump. I think it was a pump action. And, uh, he, uh, says, okay, go, go shoot some sparrows in the, in the barn. Well, I got bored with shooting sparrows for a little bit. Then I, me and my brother hid behind a bush, uh, over a bird feeder and we started shooting songbirds like cardinals and blue jays. They were coming to grandma's, you know, fancy bird feeder. And my grandpa, I remember him pulling in the driveway, getting out of his truck and walking up to us. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like a, a pile of dead robins and cardinals and just like finches and all this stuff that were visiting the, the, uh, and I said, grandpa, you told us we could go shoot birds. And he just, he didn't even get mad. He took the gun away and he said, okay, go play somewhere else before your grandma sees this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, I had a pellet gun too. And, uh, before I was, you know, probably when I was about six, and I, we used to do the same thing, shoot all the sparrows and blackbirds and yeah. songbirds and whatever. We actually shot some squirrels, too. We had pecan trees in our yard. Yeah. And uh, the squirrels would you just ravage the pecan trees. So we would we would shoot them all the time, too. Yeah, absolutely, man. Cool. All right. So, you know, you start you start getting into hunting at a pretty young age and um did that did that kind of escalate into like when did that escalate into like a serious habit i mean did you go into high school or middle school or i guess back then it was junior high and start getting into um like sports or did you just kind of continue down the hunting trend you know i played a little bit of sports uh through through probably junior high or early in junior high and then you know I wasn't I wasn't the best athlete <laughs> by any stretch, and I was just kind of like more in the academics. I was most people probably know me as being a pretty smart kid, so I just I just stuck with the books. But I, I was infatuated with hunting. Yeah. And by the time I got to high school, there were so many like social events, like parties, and you know games and parties after the games and stuff like that that i skipped because i was like i gotta go to bed i gotta get up at three in the morning or four in the morning i'm going hunting and they were like what i was like yeah i'll see y'all later sunday or monday or whatever 
And a lot of people that just didn't register with them. But when you when you're when you're bitten by this hunting bug, yes, man, it, it, it it's all over but the crime, you know. That's right. And um, when I went to when I went to college, even I went to college away, you know, about three hours away in New Orleans, right? And when I became an RA, you know, the the dorm counselor or whatever we would get the choice of either spring break off or fall break, which is Thanksgiving break off. And I would take Thanksgiving break off so that I could go home and go hunting during November, you know? And uh, most kids are like, what? Don't you want to be off at spring break so you can go to Florida or go do this? Or like, no, are you crazy? <laughs> I'm going home to go hunting, you know? So I was, I was pretty eaten up with it. At a, at a young age yeah so talk to me a little bit about what it was like to hunt uh, in mississippi in your youth well you know mississippi it's a lot of hardwood well the, the area of mississippi that i hunted in it's a lot of hardwood uh creek bottoms river bottoms um most of my deer hunting we were probably about say 15 miles from the Mississippi River. So you get all these drainages that, that feed, that, that funnel towards the river. And there's some deep, deep gullies and steep ridges. And the terrain is just atrocious. Plus, it's so thick, you know. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons why I didn't hunt with a rifle until I was an adult. Because that part of the state, it's like you're just hunting in a thicket. You know, and uh, sometimes you, you, if I'm the deer are almost like rabbits, you got to almost step on them sometimes if they're bedded to make a move. And that's why, you know, I didn't for a long time, I just thought dogs were what were required to hunt deer effectively because you just can't get them to move or they move and you hear them, but you can't see them and they circle around and then they bed down someplace else and you're just moving them around in circles, you know, but, um, it was, it it was rarely bitter cold. It, it it would get cool late in the season, and if you were still hunting, you know maybe or or uh, on a on a tree stand, you probably get pretty cold sometimes of the year. But most of the time, it wasn't bitterly cold. Um, not at all like Iowa or the Midwest or something like that. Right. And uh, back then, I didn't bow hunt, so. I wasn't used to hunting in the warm weather either. It was always that, that late fall, just transitioning to winter, and it was like perfect temperatures. Right. So are you from northern Mississippi or southern Mississippi? I'm actually from central Mississippi, okay. like almost the geographic center. Okay. And uh, I would hunt in kind of southwest Mississippi. Okay. On, on occasion, I would go to northwest, which – Mississippi, they call it a, the Delta. Yes. It's kind of like that, that ag region. Uh, and there the deer actually get much bigger than they do where, where I grew up hunting. Um, but primarily I hunted in the, we call them the hills and hollers of south southwest Mississippi. Gotcha. And that, yeah, I've had a guy on from Mississippi before who was telling me that he says he he's hunted in a lot of states, but 
the variation from the northern part of Mississippi all the way to down to the coast is one of the most diverse states as far as terrain is concerned for hunting whitetails. That's probably true. And and now I live and hunt in Texas and Texas isn't even quite as diverse. I don't think, yeah. you know, uh, especially if you say you consider how the size of Texas, it's not nearly as diverse as Mississippi is when it comes to hunting whitetail. Mm-hmm. Do you still go back to Mississippi and hunt? I don't. I I, uh, I keep saying every year that I'm gonna go back and 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 do some hunting there, but you know, it's it's just so easy for me to hunt Texas, and I, and I hunt up Oklahoma too because where I live in Texas, uh, as actually where I hunt in Oklahoma, it's closer to where I live in Texas than where I hunt in Texas is to where I live in Texas. Gotcha. So. Uh, to carve out time to go to Mississippi to hunt, you know, it's kind of tough. And, you know, we got pretty good animals in Texas. It's just like, uh, what's the trade off to hunt there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we kind of took a little detour there, but you know, when it, it sounds to me like dogs hunting with dogs was kind of like a big, a big part of your life. It was, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun, but you know, <laughs> the reason I transitioned from hunting with dogs was really because, okay, the, the, the way this hunting camp works is you say you get 20 guys, right? And right. you, you, you line them out across this, this, this 40 or 50 acres or something, not necessarily a big region, maybe bigger, right? And then you get one or two guys that are the dog handlers. And they push the push the deer with the dogs through the the woods and and hopefully run them into these other hunters, right? Right. And so you kind of it's just kind of like your luck of the draw. Like, are you on the escape route that they choose that day? Right. And and you know the clubs can be a little clickish, like like any organization, right? You have guys that's like, well, that's my stand. I always get right there. Well, he's been hunting there for fifteen years or something, yeah. and he knows that that's the primary escape route, right? Yeah. So you you get guys that get their they, they cherry pick locations and stuff like that, and I just got kind of frustrated with it, right? So because I was a member of the club, we had the opportunity to, to, to hunt on non-club hunts, like non-organized hunts. So like, but to do that, you'd have to come like on an off day, like a Monday or Tuesday or something like that. Right. And so at this point, this is when I'm an adult and I'm still living in Mississippi, but you know, I work and have days off. So I take vacation and I figured out, so, well, let me, let me go down there and, and hunt this other day or something, you know? So I did that once. Uh, it was right after a club hunt, an organized club hunt, and I had seen like a scrape line. I was like, man, I should come here and hunt this scrape line when there's no 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 pressure in the woods. So I came back the following week, and man, I was in the tree 15 minutes and shot a shot at the time the biggest buck of my life. And I was like, oh my god, that that's the ticket. Just get away from the crowd, yeah. get the dog. Scout, do your own scouting, find your own sign, and then go set up and hunt. What I what I didn't say is that this this tree stand that I had was a climber, 
And the reason I had a climber was because I had started bow hunting already by that point. I had how, some guys that how I How old were you? Go ahead. Uh, I was about 23, okay. maybe 23 okay. when I started bow hunting. Um, so I worked in a, I worked in a factory, uh, as, as an engineer and some of the guys in the maintenance department and, and some of the other engineers, they were bow hunters and they were telling me about bow hunting. I was like, really? They were like, Oh yeah, man, you, you really should try it. I was like, but don't you have to be really close? And they were like, yeah. And it's like, don't you have to be really quiet and they can't smell you? It was, it was just totally foreign. You know, I had all these standard questions. Right. And they said, but here's the thing. This is, and this was, this was the tipping point for me to start bow hunting was that at the time in Mississippi, you had like unlimited does that you could kill if you were killing them with a bow. And, you know, n- normally, let's say, I, I don't remember exactly, it was a long time ago, but let's say you get, at the time, you would get like maybe two bucks or something, two or three bucks, or it might have been something odd, like a buck a day or whatever. But you only got like maybe five does. But if you shot, if you shot them with a, a bow, it was unlimited. You could just keep killing doe after doe after doe. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of opportunity then. And yeah. plus, you start at the beginning of October. I was like, oh, I got to try this. So a friend of mine at the factory, he set me up with, I bought a bow off of another guy at the factory. It was a used bow. I went by his house. He tuned it, showed me how to shoot. And from then on, I started shooting. Man, the second day I went bow hunting, I shot a doe. And I was like, this was a spot that I picked. You know, I scouted. The doe came in and I shot her. I was all by myself. No other help. I was like, this is unreal. Right. It's completely exhilarating. That experience was unlike any other experience I've had to that point. And so I said, this is what I'm about now. And I really only hunted with the club because that gave me access to, you know, hundreds of acres, you know, yeah. to bow hunt, you know, at, at, at these other opportune times that were not part of the organized uh, dog drives and so forth. So that, that was how I got into that. But anyway, I had a tree stand, a climber, so I could move around and, and climb these trees. It's not like, you know, these cricket trees you have where you live, let's say, and you got to have hang-ons and climbing sticks. We just tack a climber as a pine tree or some other hardwood tree, and it's, you know, 80 feet tall, and you just climb up 20, 25, 30 feet, and you were good, you know? Right. Wow. That's awesome. Now, now it's kind of funny. I, I don't know why I'm bringing this up now, but I was in Texas uh, a couple weeks ago. That at the exact same yeah. time you were in Iowa, right? Yeah, was that's that right. was was that for work? Yeah, I went up there for work. Okay, yeah. all right. So, did you get the opportunity to like drive around out in the country or or go you know? go check out the, uh, the scenery, the scenic views of, of Iowa at all? Not really. Um, I was in Des Moines, right? Right. And the, the, the client that, that I had to visit was in, uh, about 20 minutes outside of Des Moines. Okay. So, you know, once you get out of Des Moines that far, it starts to look fairly rural, 
Right. And I, I could see that like, wow, this, this could be interesting. It's really funny. I made a funny post. It was kind of tongue in cheek about how many booners I saw <laughs> as my plane was landing <laughs> at Des Moines International. Right. Right. But right. R- right. Right. After I took those picture, that picture from the plane, I really did see deer on, on our descent. I'm like, there really are deer right here, of course, <laughs> but it was like some, some ag field. Now I don't know if it was a buck or no or, you know, whatever, right. but I was like, man, this is awesome. I need to come hunt here. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been putting in for points? No, I haven't. I haven't. I really need to, uh, if, if I, if I, ha- I just need to look at it a little more. I've been putting in points for points out West, but right. I haven't been putting in, uh, in Iowa, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I tell everybody. Everybody's like, I would love to hunt Iowa. I would love to hunt Iowa. It's a, it's a commitment, not only financially, but, uh, from a time standpoint too, because once you do draw the tag, right, you put in four years, maybe five years, you draw a tag, then you don't just come up for a week that year. You're coming up for like multiple weeks because it took you four years to draw that hunt. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I did find out though, because, you know, we were having such bad weather here in Texas. We were kind of skeptical about the flight arrangements and stuff, or, or not the arrangements, but getting out and getting to Des Moines for this uh, business trip. That we were like, well, what if we drove? You know, so we, we Googled how far Des Moines was from, from Dallas, and it was like eight hours. I was like, oh, that's good. So I immediately say, I could drive eight hours for a scouting trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. You're talking to a guy who's about to drive. Well, my wife doesn't know this yet. I know she doesn't listen to the podcast, so I got to keep it down because she could be right outside the door. But this summer, at some point, I'm going to be uh, taking a 10-hour drive for uh, to South Dakota, I think, for a scouting trip for mule deer. There you go. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. She might be she might be uh, riding shotgun with me, but I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of what you do now, you know. Yeah. So she, she'll, she'll love it and deal with it. You yeah, know? I, I, I so. told my wife, <laughs> I told my wife, if I don't draw uh, this antelope tag in Wyoming, then I'm gonna drive to Colorado and 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 hunt some over the counter antelope stuff. Yeah, in uh, Colorado, and that's 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 another you know eight, nine, 10 hour drive. And that's doable too, from where I live. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a day, right? You get up early, drive 10 hours. You're there probably still at sun at sunrise or sunset. And then I don't know if you're going to camp or get, grab a hotel. And then the next day where the antelopes live anyway, it's probably not too high elevation. That's right. That's right. I could deal with that. Yeah. All right. So we're going to switch gears now. And I want to talk to you a little bit about, this buck that you ended up shooting, uh, in 2018 with your bow. Uh, and my first, mm-hmm. my first question is, was this de- this buck that you shot, was he on the radar, um, at the very beginning of the season? Did, did you and the guys that you hunt with know about him? Um, I knew about him, Dan. He was on my radar from two years before. Okay. So, I, I first got on this lease in 2016 Okay, and uh, I threw up a trail camera uh, at, at the spot that I, my buddy helped me scout out and, and plan to set up. So we, we threw up a tra- trail camera and the first time I pulled the car, 
I saw this buck was on that was the only buck on that picture. I mean, all on that set of pictures, you know? Yeah. So this was like the summer of 2016. I saw this buck on, on the camera and he was in velvet, obviously. And I had never, so let me back up slightly, if you don't mind, let me yeah. back up. So, so when I, when I left Mississippi, I moved to Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah, I hunted Pennsylvania for like four and a half years. And I bow hunted there. And uh, that was all public land. Then I moved to Texas. And by now I have a family. I have two sons, a wife. You know, we moved to Texas. And, you know, the idea of these Texas leases, to me, they were kind of outrageous in, right. in what it cost to be, be on a lease in Texas. So like a hunting club in Mississippi, if I spent – $400 back, back when I was in, in my early 20s, that was a lot, you know. And as long as I was my dad's dependent, I think I got a half, a 50% off discount. So my dad would pay like 400 bucks for him and 200 bucks for me, you know, right. after I was 16, so like 16 to 18. So it's really affordable, you know. Right. And then when when I moved to Texas and people were, you know, telling telling you, you know, $2,000. I'm like, what? Are you crazy? I don't have $2,000 to, to pay for a lease. You know, my, my, my kids got to go to school. I got daycare. I got all, all of this other stuff. I was like, there's no way. So, and then my oldest son was in the sports and all this stuff. He was, he, when we moved here, he was already like ninth grade or something like that. So yeah. on Thursdays and Fridays and all this stuff were taken up. And so I kind of like put my hunting on the back burner. Well, when my, my younger son, when he got to high school or like junior, senior year, and I, and I didn't have to uh, defer all of my downtime to his schedule for sports and so forth, I went back to hunting. So I picked up the bow again. And uh, so anyway, that brought me to 2016. Okay. So now I've, I, I stumbled into a lease. I was planning to hunt public ground and I stumbled into a, a lease because I met a guy at work one day and he just said, Hey, I liked your truck. And then he I had my bow in the back seat and uh, my buddy Steve. And he says, wait a minute, are you a hunter? And I was like, yeah. He was like, Oh, well, we might, we might have an opening on our hunting lease. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, how much is it? Because <laughs> if he's going to tell me, you know, two or three grand, then I'm like, I appreciate the offer, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I got a, I got an affordable lease that I became a member of, right? Okay. So Steve and I, we throw up this trail camera. I get a picture of this deer. He's in velvet. And I'm like, man, 16 years ago when I stopped hunting, we didn't have trail cameras, you know, <laughs> we weren't using those back then. This is pretty cool. So I saw these pictures of this deer in velvet and I'm like, man, that's awesome. Look how, look how thick this looks and how white and, and soft this, this, this velvet looks on this deer. It looks like, it looks like it's just smoke coming out of his head, you know? So I named this deer Smokey, you know, yeah. now all these hunting, so everybody names their deer, right? Right, right. You know? So I was like, uh, Smokey, yeah, it looks like smoke's coming out of his head, you know. So anyway, so that was my first, first, um, I call it a soft encounter because it was just, just, just pictures of this deer. And I got a few more, you know, but 
I don't know if you know, but in Texas, uh, certain counties have antler restriction. Did, did they talk to you about that when you were down here the no, other week? No, because I was in an area that was like all high fence. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't. Yeah, so. They had a completely different management schedule or, you know, situation than what I'm sure you guys even had. Yeah. So what, what happens is certain counties, I think it even applies to high fence, though. Well, well I, I can't say that. Okay. But anyway, certain counties have antler restrictions, which mean that the inside spread on the buck has to be at least 13 inches. Okay. Right. So you might have a mature deer that just kind of has, let's just say a junkie rat, you know, right. He may not be legal. He might be, he could be seven years old and he just is not legal to take, you know? And, uh, I think it's a loose attempt for the Texas Parks and Wildlife to kind of regulate the deer quality, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, but you you can also you can also take in my county you can take one spike also. You know, as long as the deer has at least one side that's unbranched, you can take one spike and then you get one buck that's greater than thirteen inches. Okay. And then you get about. Uh, I think we get three does. Yeah, you get three does. Uh, so anyway, so when I first saw this deer, although he was probably the most impressive deer I'd ever seen, he, um, I wasn't sure that he was legal because it was right. They, they say the guideline is, you know, the alert ear distance from, from ear tip to ear tip is about 13 or 14 inches. So this deer was questionable because he was kind of right at the ears. So I just kind of looked at it like, oh, it's a really nice deer. Maybe someday he'll be big enough, or maybe there's another one that I just don't have a picture of, or maybe I just got to worry about getting a few deer for the freezer or something, you know? Right. But anyway, that, that was the extent of it. Okay. So how old was he? Uh, the first, upon your estimates, how old do you think that deer was when, you know, you first saw him in 2016? I think he was, I think it was about three and a half. Okay. Maybe more, maybe four and a half, but I think three and a half uh, was probably pretty accurate. Maybe four and a half. Okay. So let's just say uh, conservatively, he's a three and a half year old deer, which would have made him a a five year old in 2018 when you shot him. Okay. So um, in 2016, you started this leash, you put your trail cameras out, you got some pictures of him, you gave him a name. Did you have any encounters with him uh, throughout 2016? I, I did. <laughs> I did. He came in like around uh, early November. November. Okay. Actually, it was November 5th because I, I have a picture of him at the same time. So he comes in and... He's one in front of my trail camera, and then two, I'm looking at him from a, I'm, I'm hunting from a pop-up ground blind. So I'm like, oh yeah, this is that's him. He's right at the ears, so I can't shoot him. And man, my heart was racing, you know. So now <laughs> I see him like this is this is hard horn, live living color, 18 yards, and I'm watching this deer for like 15 minutes, and I can't shoot him. Yeah. I was like, man, this this is like sacrilegious in Mississippi. You know, <laughs> right, right. It's like I grew up. If it was brown, he was going down. You right. know, yeah. and and here is the biggest book of my life, 
and he's standing 18 yards from me, I just have to admire him, you know. But I was committed to be be legal, of course, and th- that's just, just what I had to do. So but he came in, fed for a little while, and that was it. So let me ask you this. Did he, was there any other deer on your trail camera or on your lease that was bigger than him? Or was this just one of those instances where, Hey man, the law says 14 inches or 13 inches. I just can't shoot him. No, knowing he's technically a shooter. Um, he was the only one I had on my camera. Now on my lease, there are probably, you know, there's probably eight or nine other guys. Right. And, and we kind of share some pictures, you know, a little bit, but yeah, guys kind of hold that close to the vest a little bit. Cause you know, you, a guy could, I mean, I wouldn't do it and nobody's done it to me, but you know, you might think that a guy could, man, that guy might go hunt my blind one day that I'm not there, you know, right? <laughs> and, shoot, and shoot, shoot my number one or something. But, uh, anyway, I can't remember exactly that guys had bigger, bigger deer pictures at the time. Now, the, historically, some of the guys have been there, you know, 10, 15 years, they've killed big deer before. So I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, i got to certainly hold out. And he's only 13 inches. Maybe I'm not going to chance it because there could be a better buck walking around here. And just, you know, this was early. It's still November and it's, early pre-rut, you know, early, early pre-rut, you know, who knows what's going to show up in another week or two. Right. All right. So let me ask you this on the, on this lease, how many, uh, how how many acres would you say were yours or that you had accessibility to on this lease? I would say, well, it's kind of weird, you know, I think we have, let's say, something about like 2,000 acres, right? Right. And let's say there's 10 guys. So it, the law of averages, I mean, not law of averages, you average that out and it's, you know, 200 acres a guy, right? Right. But the way it's, the way the rules are set up, you don't move around and scout different spots and go hunt here one day and hunt this part of your 200 acres another day or, you don't do that. You kind of, you kind of get one set up, you know, the guy, you know, here in Texas, we use feeders. Yep. Uh, so you, you throw a feeder up and you can hunt that feeder in that area. Uh, the, the imminent area of the feeder, I'd say. Uh, and that's, that's what you're re- relegated to. Okay. Man, I hear this and it just drives me crazy. Right. And I, I know, I we, know we had we had this conversation the last time you were on the podcast about how um, you would, you know, a lot of the times that the, the big bucks, the mature bucks, they're not they're not di- directly visiting the feeder in daylight. So you have to hunt on the outskirts of the feeder. Right. To try to catch them coming mm-hmm. in. So mm-hmm. so did did this kind of throw a wrench in your your strategy at all like adjusting to the rules of the lease it did because i'd never hunted this way before remember this yeah. is my first year hunting in texas yeah. so you know i just well not just come from pennsylvania but the last last time i hunted pennsylvania you know you go out it's public land you go scout you throw up a stand or you hunt wherever you want to hunt you yeah. know uh and then even in mississippi you know, on those off days when, when we weren't having those club hunts, 
you do the same thing. You hunt anywhere you wanted to yeah. on the, on a club property. And I, I hunted some public land in Mississippi. There's some national, some national uh, like refuges and things that you can get permitted to hunt in. It's the same thing there. You go scout it. You hunt wherever you want to within the boundaries, you know. Right. And so, so having this this isolated piece to hunt in Texas was very different than what I had been accustomed to. Right. Okay. All right. So 2016, you had a couple. Was that the only encounter you had with him, or did that's, you have? That's the only encounter I had with him. Okay. All right. So you knew this deer was a three-year-old, potentially a four-year-old. Um, you had an encounter with him. Season comes to an end. No one else on your lease sh- uh, ends up shooting him. Did anybody else see him? No. 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 Okay. So he was relatively a homebody, huh? Yeah, he was. I, I never saw him again. Nobody else saw him again. And, uh, that that was it you know okay. now there there is another another uh ranch if you will like next door to my, our property okay and they gun hunt there i didn't say this but my lease is like pretty much archery only right it's archery only but the oh, okay. next the neighboring property is you know once rifle season starts you hear a few gunshots there so i never know if he's going to wander over there you know because gun season comes closer to that rut period Right. I don't know if he's going to wander over there and he got shot or whatever, you know. Okay. All right. So when did you knew, know that he was still alive in 2017? So 2017, I got, I didn't get any summer pictures of him, nothing in velvet, okay. but then he showed up, uh, he showed up in, in probably October. I know he definitely showed up in late October, you know, but, and, and I got pictures of him. In fact, um, he got bigger, of course, and we had we had a wet spring in 2017. We had a wet year, so there was a lot of lot of you know uh, forage for the deer. I think you know by all accounts he kind of grew quite a bit that year, and he looked every bit of a shooter by the time I got a decent photo of him. And he, he had gone from an eight-point. I probably didn't say that. He was an eight-point in 2016. 2017, he had, he had grown another, uh, another point on his right side, and he, was, he had a kicker on his left G2 then. I was like, oh, my God, what a stud. You know? <laughs> and and, and I, that, at that point, I got a really good picture of him because I moved the camera. You know, I moved my camera. And I got a really good picture of him, like just standing all majestic, just, you know, broadside. Yep. And I was like, oh, kind of quarter and two. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, he, what a stud. He's a shooter. No, no doubt about it. Yep. And uh, so anyway, I hunt, hunt that season. I mean, start, you know, I'm already hunting then. And, you know, just things happen, work. And by now I'm also hunting Oklahoma. So I don't always go to my Texas leagues. I'm kind of, you know, hunting a few different places. And uh, I didn't go there for like three weeks, around three weeks, you know, just, just the way things worked out. And what I'll typically do is my camera is not too far from my blind. So I'll pull my camera card like one evening as I'm coming out of the blind, I'll pull the card then and swap it out and then go back and check pictures right right so i hadn't been in three weeks 
and I check these, check my car at this time, and I'm looking at the pictures, and you would not believe it. I almost cried, Dan. <laughs> that sucker, what came to my came to my stand every day for like it was about eighteen days in a row. Are you kidding in me? In daylight, in daylight, and I hadn't been there in three weeks, and I was like. Are you kidding me? I hunted the weekend before this first picture I got. And then I have no pictures. You know, well, later I found that I didn't have any more pictures of him after I started back hunting again. I was like, did he pattern me? Did he, did, did, did he figure out that I was, was he winding me and just not coming in? Did he go off on another doe? Did he get shot? You know, I just didn't know what happened. I was like, did I just blow this? You know, I hadn't seen him in like a year, and then all of a sudden, he's here for two weeks, two three weeks straight, and I'm not here to capitalize on it. Yeah. So anyway, I was just sick. Yeah. And I I, I started thinking that man, I just ruined this. He he pegged me. He knew where I parked. He was watching me, smelling me. Yeah. What I started reevaluating all of my my regiment, you know, I told you I was kind of a scent freak, right? Right. So I was like, man, what is he, what, what, what have I done wrong? You know, maybe I need to regroup. I was just, you know, he just sent my mind in a, in a tailspin, just trying to figure out where I had gone wrong. Yeah. All right. So what did he do in the antler department from 2016 to 2017? <laughs> he, he, he blew the hell up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he did. Yeah. So he he uh we had another wet summer. So I was like, man, I hope he gets even more trash and stickers and kickers and stuff. And um anyway, I uh my stupid trail camera uh took a crap like right before like I mean literally like two weeks before hunting season. And I had no pictures of him all summer again. I was like so it's like September and my it's like the last visit I make out there because it's just like three hours from where I live so when I go I'm going for the weekend you know yeah. so anyway I go out there like once a once a once a once a month during the summer or off season whatever just kind of clean things up or check stuff out and um, anyway I get out there September I pull my card and there are no pictures on it I was like are you kidding me so I was like well that's okay. I grew up not hunting with cameras. I'm not going to worry about it right now. We're right, you know, opening days right around the corner. Just get in the blind and see what happens, you know. So that, that's what I did. Uh, hunted there. Uh, I had no pictures of him. Uh, so I had no idea what he was like. And, I, and at this point, I don't know if he ever got shot from 2017. I had zero pictures from about December of 2017 until now. Yeah, I never had any pictures or now being, you know, the hunting season 2018. So I didn't know what he had done. But uh, I'm sitting in the blind. Well, you didn't ask me this, but the way I knew what he did was when I put him on the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm there hunting the day. This is late October that I'm hunting him and uh, or I'm hunting. And, you know, I, I get like a, a little eight point, young eight point buck come in and he's feeding. I'm just, this is early, like seven thirty. He's feeding. I'm just 
watching him. And then uh, I noticed that something catches his attention. And I looked to the left to say, well, what's, what's drawing his attention? You know, I thought it was just, I really thought it was just more deer coming in, right? So <laughs> I look over there and there's this brushy trail that, that, feet, that uh, leads into to my area. And I see this deer with his head down coming under this brush, you know, get this, you know how they have to get their antlers out of their way so they don't get hung up and all this stuff. Yep. He's coming through there like that. And I'm like, oh my God, that's him. Because his rack is really, really tight, actually. And the, the time they don't like go up in like this classical whitetail buck form, formation. They kind of go up and they curve in like they everything curves to the center like they want to touch and meet in the middle. Even even the main beam curves around like it wants to meet in the middle, right? So I recognized him immediately. Like, boom, that's him. You know, I didn't say Smokey, but I just said that's him. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I turned back to pick my bow up. I think I had it on on like a little kickstand on the ground. I turn to get my bow and I turn back and I see a doe running away, like away from us. And I was like, Oh, shucks. I didn't see that doe. And then I was like, man, he's going to take off after her. So he didn't exactly, he looked at her and then he looked, he looked uh, at this little eight point buck that's out in front of me. And I was like, man, do I shoot, shoot at him in this gap right here? You know, I'm so excited. Cause I'm like, I hadn't seen him. This is only the second time I've seen him on the hoof. You know, I was like, should I take this shot? He's going to walk across this 40 yard shot. You know, I got one little window. I was like, no, nah, I can't take that shot. You know, and this is happening really fast. It's not like, yeah. you know, you, you think of all this stuff in like seconds. Right. And uh, so I wait and he crosses the little window that I considered. And then he, he, he spotted this little eight point buck by now. And then this eight-point buck kind of runs away, and the deer makes a beeline. The big buck makes a beeline towards him, and then he kind of runs that deer away, and then he starts feeding. But he's not – I can't shoot him where he's standing because it's just too too many trees. And uh, I was like, oh, man. So I'm just ready. My heart's pumping. My heart's pumping. And then he's feeding, and he's walking. I was like, man, two more steps. I think I'm going to get a shot right here. So I'm getting ready, and he – he just stops and turns and runs away in the direction that that doe had gone. I was like, are you kidding me? He's at like 20, he's at like 20 yards and it's two steps from me being ready to draw back. And, uh, he turns and runs away. And I literally, I put my head down and I was like, man, all this time, all these hours of sitting here, all this effort. And, and that's the sum of, what my experience is going to be with him. You know, I was just dejected. And I I tell people all the time, I literally started praying right there. This is like one of those little kids prayers. Like when you say, (laughs) Oh, bring me that red wagon or the taco truck. Dear God. (laughs) I'm saying, Oh God, please bring this bug back to me. I did that that little eight year old boy that that loved hunting. I was yeah. doing one of those kind of prayers, man. I'm yep. like, oh my god, I need this year back. 
<laughs> I'll be good. I promise I'll be good. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Oh yeah. man. And he never did he did he ever show back up? Man, uh so he ran off presumably after this doe, right? And then uh about about fifteen minutes later, uh no, probably about 30 minutes later, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm calm down now. I'm still kind of dejected. I'm like, okay, okay, just shake it off. It's hunting, you know, there'll be another time, whatever. Man, I look up and this sucker is coming right back down another trail. But basically from the direction that he ran off, he's coming right back in there. Okay. And I'm like, there he is again. So I grabbed the bow and I was like, He's coming straight at me, you know, but, but I, I, I don't have a shot. It's not really a shooting lane. And I'm like, okay, if he turns left, if he turns to my right, his left, I got a really good shot. If he turns to my left, his right, then he's right back where he was last time when he, when I couldn't get a shot and he turned and ran off. So sure enough, he turns right back to that spot. I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, okay okay just stay calm just wait just wait just wait and then he's taking a step taking a step taking a step you know he's just feeding taking a step i was like is this gonna happen and then now i see like his his head and neck kind of coming into my shooting window and i was like oh this is gonna really happen so i kind of leaned to my right to kind of use the, the 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 one of the vertical strips of my blind to I mean, you're in the blind and it's black, but, you, you know, I'm like, I can't bust it. Let me kind of lean over here and draw. So I lean over and draw back, and then I could see the deer kind of stop. And I was like, oh, my God, did he hear me? Did I make a noise? Is he about to bolt out of here? And then he put his head back down and started feeding. I was like, oh, okay, good. Maybe he just, you know, just just was doing that. So I, I get to my anchor. And I, I, I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And I'm like, it seems like an eternity. It was probably 15 seconds at the most, but it seemed like 15 minutes. Yeah. And I'm waiting on him to take, you know, just one more step, one more step. And then, you know, he's not quite there, not quite there. And for whatever reason, I kind of look to, to where his body is. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I can shoot right there. You know, a different lane just kind of appeared to me. Yeah. He wasn't where I wanted to shoot him, but he was in a place that I could shoot. Yeah. And I was like, wait, I think I can squeeze an arrow through there. And then I'm like, man, this is really going to happen now. Because now I've told myself, you can shoot this arrow. And I'm like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It's like, calm down, Dan. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> let your heart run away. You know, I'm like trying to talk myself into making the shot, but, but not blowing the shot either, you know? And, uh, I just put the pin on him. He was 22 yards and I squeeze it off. And I, I hear a thud and he, it was kind of muddy. So he drops down and he wheels and he runs out of there. And it was literally, he was literally kicking mud up as he yeah. ran off and I was like, did I hit him? You know, I'm shooting light at knock, but I'm like, did I hit him? I think, I, I think I made a good shot. Oh my God. He, did, did this just happen? So he runs off, right? 
And then at the same time, I see another deer come in from the left, and it's a buck. And this deer runs in there, and he's looking in the direction that this deer ran off. I was like, wait a minute. Where'd that deer come from? And then I'm like, why is he looking over there? You know, the, you know, it, it just, all this stuff started happening. I'm just like, well, what's going on? I'm trying to read it, but, you know, I'm trying to calm down again. Yeah. Excuse me, calm down again now, too. So this deer, he runs off over there, too. I was like, oh, man, I bet he's running away with this deer. He picked him up and decided I better bolt the way he's going, too. So that deer runs off. And uh, so I was like, well, let me give it at least 30 minutes, and I'll get out and go see if I can find my arrow or see any blood where I saw him standing. So before that happens, here comes two more little bucks. So these two more bucks come in before this 30-minute time limit that I've applied to myself expires. I was like, oh, crap. So now i got to sit here. I don't want to spook these deer and wait for them to, you know, do their business and move on too. So I'm sitting there waiting on these bucks to leave, these young, really young bucks, like yearling bucks. And uh, something piques their interest, and, and they look to the right, to my right, and I'm like, well, what's over here? And then all of a sudden, uh, actually one of those deer was out in the, like this trail, and he was stomping. I was like, what's he stomping at? And then the other deer looks to the right so i look down there and all of a sudden here comes a herd of hogs we you know we're, we're covered up in wild hogs yeah. here comes about 10 to 15 wild hogs they come running in there i was like oh god so now here they are i was like well one of you guys are going to get stuck because because i'm ready to get out this blind and go look and see if i shot this deer so i shot one of those hogs she runs off and then uh she runs right over to where the deer was when I shot him or shot at him. And, and they finally all scattered. I was like, okay, let me make sure they're gone. I don't want to get attacked by a bunch of, you know, wild hogs. So I wait a little bit and I go out there and I find my arrow and it's covered in blood. I was like, yes, exactly what I wanted to see. And, uh, but I don't see any blood right there from the deer. I see a bunch of hog blood because, you know, it was just standing near there. I was like, well, now I've got to go track this deer. So I'm looking around, looking around, don't see any blood. I was like, well, he ran this way. Let me just go around these trees here and just kind of look down this big trail, you know, that I had seen this, this one of these young bucks stomping while he was standing in that trail. So I go stand in the trail, and I look 40 yards up the trail, and I see this huge set of antlers sticking up out of the grass. And I just... I just started jumping for joy and my fists were in the air and I run down the thing and then I just like, Oh my God, that's him. And I, I, I just, I lost it. I became emotional. I'm not, I'm not this emotional guy, but I was like, man, what I've gone through, <laughs> this yeah. was, it, it all culminated the way I needed it to. It was unbelievable. Man, that's nuts. That's nuts, man. So, I always like to ask this question uh, because I think it's it's a little bit different for every single hunter, but at the same time, it's the same. What was your emotions or feeling when you actually walked up to him, you bent over, and you grabbed his antlers for the first time? Man, 
I really just couldn't believe it. It was he was he was just as impressive. You know how you worry about ground shrinkage? Yeah. There was no there was no shrinkage, man. Yeah. He was even more impressive because he 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 had one of his route times almost split. So he he almost had a split brow time. He was a he was a, a ten pointer at this point. And I didn't know that. When I saw him, I just knew it was him from the geometry of his rack. I didn't count points or any of that, you know. I just said he's a shooter, that's him, you know. And so this was the first and I had no pictures of him, remember? I haven't had a picture of him since December of the year before. Yeah. So so I, I, I didn't even count the point. I just, I just held it. It was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And I, was, I started pacing, and my heart rate went up again. And I was like, what, what, what do I do? And then I was like, you know, you're there by yourself. And I'm like, who, who do I tell? You know, I need to tell somebody. So <laughs> it's like it's, it's almost 9 o'clock now. So I called my wife. I'm like, you know, I got to call her. I call her goes to voicemail. I was like, oh crap, she's in the bed. So then then I called my dad, you know, and I called my dad. And he's like, what is it? I was like, I got him. I got him. I got him. And he's like, what is it? Got what? I was like, that buck, the buck, the big one. And he was like, <laughs> and, and, and then, and then, and then uh, I think he was at, at church or something like working or doing something. I don't know where he was. And and my I hear him tell my mom, my mom's name is Ann. My dad says, Ann, Ann, get on the phone. This is Danny. Your son's on the phone, he's crying. <laughs> and and then, then so he hands the phone to my mom and, and my mom says, What's the matter? I was like, I got him, Mama, I got him. She's like, What? I was like, the big beard. She's like, Well, why are you crying? I was like, I don't know. So <laughs> <laughs> and no, like, like, just to tell everybody, how old are you at this? Like, how old are you? Uh, forty-seven. Okay, you're forty-seven years old, acting like a kid. Yeah, and I call my. <laughs> I'm talking to my mama, crying on the phone, <laughs> and now I'm telling all your two million listeners about it. <laughs> oh man, that's a great. That's great. And I tell you what, that's yeah. that's awesome because that just, dude, I'm, I'm with you. Like, um, I I get emotional when I shoot deer, um, and like when I call my wife, she always asks me, "What happened? What happened to you? What's going on? Why are you emotional?" I'm like, "I just shot my buck. I just shot my buck." You know, like my voice gets real high and pitchy and all yep. that stuff, and um, and I and we all get fired up, and I think that's awesome that it mean like hunting means so much to us and and we have so much of a passion towards these animals that it makes us almost emotionally break down after we're successful yeah yeah it's it's like you know it's so cliche to say blood sweat and tears you know that you put into something and and to that point, it had only been the blood and the sweat. Mostly sweat, a little bit of blood, you know. Yeah. But it's a lot of work. It's an adventure, you know, to scout it, to take pictures, to, yep. to think that you're busted, to re, revamp your, 
your uh, your your techniques and your approach, all the practice, the boating, you know, visualizing the moment, you know, switching releases, building more arrows, all of the stuff you do, and it's really for about thirty seconds. Like that day, I saw this deer for a total of maybe thirty seconds. Yeah, and and it's and I'm saying this is this is a two a two two and a half year journey. And it was just for 30 seconds. Yeah. And, you know, the weird thing, the weirdest part of all of it is as happy as I was, it's kind of anticlimactic because what really made me enjoy bow hunting is the journey and the chase. Yeah. You know, the, the shot and the harvest, the kill, that's just the icing on the cake. But it's, it's the chase that just keeps you going and going and going and going. And I was like, wow, I won't get to hunt him anymore. You know, there'll be yeah. another year and there'll be another story that, that, that develops another narrative, if you will. But this one comes to, it comes to an end. And I was like, I don't want it to end. So it, it took me a while to kind of shake that and say, okay, go on to the next one, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a very, very I didn't know I would feel that way. I never felt that way before. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Uh, so congratulations, man. What did, you know? Just just for a visual aspect, what did this deer end up scoring? <clears throat> he grows. So so first of all, this is the this is the only. I'm not I'm not a real record book guy. Yeah, I wasn't until this point. And so I get back to camp. I call my buddy Steve, right? Steve's hunting on another part of the property. Well, actually, I think I texted him. And I said, man, I just shot the big buck, you know. He's like, really? He, say, he said, cool, man. And I, I was like, I'm coming to pick you up. So I go get my – because he, he rode with me. So I, I, I drive back to camp, and uh, I have to drive by camp to get to his hunting location, right? And so I saw a couple guys at camp. I said, man, I just shot a good one. And he's like, really? You need some help? I was like, I do, but let me go get Steve first. Because Steve, <laughs> Steve and I had put in all this work there. You know what I mean? He, yeah. he's, kind of, he's my hunting buddy. So right, I was like, right. I got to go get Steve. You know, Steve's got to retrieve his deer with me, you know. So I, I go pick up Steve, and then we come back, and then we go down there. And like that picture that you saw, Steve took that photo. You okay. Know? So – Steve, Steve helps me, you know, get get propped up to take a picture of this deer and all of that. And he ends up helping me drag him out and everything. We get back to camp. And all the guys from camp were like, they were so con congratulatory and so excited. And, like, even the principals on our lease, right, they're like, man, we've been out here 15, 20, 25 years. This, this is one – this may be my favorite deer I've seen out here, you know, just – just the the character of his his antler structure just was kind of special. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I probably didn't end up telling you he, he was a he was a ten. He almost split a uh, split a, a, a one of his uh, brow ties. He had a little bit of trash, like he was trying to get some kickers off the front of his bases. Uh, they they're just like big bumps. They're not really not really a a, a time or a point, but. Anyway, so he ended up being a, a, a typical 10, and uh, he scored one – he grossed 150 even, 
and he netted one forty four and five eight. Hey man, um, that's a good deer. And it, it it is a good deer, and most of it's in the mass. You know, he, yeah. his um, most of it's in his mass. He tore mostly in the mass, not so much the timely. So that made it kind of kind of kind of special. But I've never I've never shot a Pope and Young deer before. You know. Uh, or a deer that would have scored Pope and Young had he been shot with a bow. I've, I've never shot one this big before. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I really didn't – I mean, I'm not one for scoring, but the guys were like, hey, you going to enter him in Pope and Young? I was like, you think he makes Pope and Young? And they were like, heck yeah. And then and then so he did a rough score there. One of the guys was real good. He, he, he did a rough score there, and he was – I was like, well, even with deductions, man, there's no way he loses 25 inches in deductions, right? And he's like, no, not not nearly. He'll 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 go 140, 145 pretty easily with deductions, and he was he was spot on, spot yeah. on. Well, congrats, my friend. That's awesome. Um, I always I always like hearing about guys who you know they get in, they're really getting into it, and then they end up shooting their biggest buck ever. And, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a guy who cares too much about, you know, scoring per se, but I do like hearing stories and I do like, you know, talking to guys and they get excited. Uh, and it brings that passion back to hunting and whatnot about, you know, shooting their big biggest buck. And it makes them, you know, it just makes everybody remember, you know, it's different for everybody, but it makes us all remember why we do it. And, I don't know. I, just, I get fired up about it. I'm the same way, Dan. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, uh, your your congratulations, and I appreciate you allowing me to come on the show and on the podcast and tell my story about it. And I look forward to the next one, man. I look forward to the next next opportunity. Ho- hopefully, it might be a helping young animal out west or just a good experience. I, I'm totally consumed with it, just like I was, you know, when I was eight years old. Right. Or 40 years ago, yeah. And that's that's what counts, man. Well, I tell you what, man, really appreciate you hopping on today, and uh, go go do it again and then come back on. Yeah, and I'm going to start putting in points for Iowa. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to my man, Dan, for hopping on the podcast, taking time out of his day to uh, chat with us. Huge, big, fat, morbidly obese shout out to each and every one of you who continues to support the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles, man. I, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. Again, keep an eye out for the trailer, the Sportsman's Nation trailer of the, the turkey film that we're calling Tradition. Um, it's not even really about turkey hunting per se, but uh, it revolves around uh, turkey season. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Prime, Ozonics, Ripcord, Lone Wolf, Hunter Safety Systems, Wasp Archery, Lone Wolf, I think I've said all that. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast, and uh, in turn, they keep supporting me, and then I can keep putting awesome podcasts into your ears. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Other than that, social media, Instagram. Facebook. If you're not following 
the Sportsman's Nation on Instagram. Please go do that. Please go to iTunes, leave a review. Please subscribe to all of the podcasts, right? Whether it, you like the, the network feed or you want one of the standalone feeds, um, please go uh, you know, go subscribe to what you like to listen to. Also, share this information, right? Go tell your friends about this podcast. If you like this, spread the word because word of mouth, man, that that's a game changer, uh, especially on uh, content that we're putting out. And uh, obviously, we want to grow and we could use your help. Lastly, keep an eye out for all of the, um, there's going to be some major giveaways coming through the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles. So please keep an eye out for that. And uh, lastly, it's to that time of year where we're going to start thinking about getting tree stands up you know get our you know getting prepared for the upcoming season and if you're going to be in a tree our friends at hunter safety systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of the week